All righty, so let's turn to James chapter 3. Um, so you came to a message that's talking about the use of our tongue and how we speak. So prepare to be convicted. If you didn't know, it's your fault you didn't read ahead. You're here now, so buckle up. Um, there's not any of us that are not going to be touched by this message. And maybe it's not a season that you're in right now, but maybe it's going to be something that you will hearken back to and you'll, you'll look on. But we need to grow in this area. I say that not because I know of problems. I actually not aware of anything that's you know ripping through the church or something like that. This is just, there's an opportunity for us to use um, and he's going to take a pretty negative approach to dealing with this issue. But, you know, but there's opportunity for us to use our, our um, communication with one another in such an amazing, godly, wonderful way. Have you noticed the world hasn't really figured that out? Has anybody noticed that? We're the children of God. The Spirit of the living God dwells within us, and he's given us his holy word. And there is no shortage of information about how to speak and how not to speak. Are we willing to hear it? Are we willing to obey it? Are we willing to get outside of our feelings and our emotions and do what God says? That's the challenge that's going to come to us this morning. But let's begin reading um, there. We'll start in verses 1 and 2. Um, he's going to first begin speaking to teachers about their speech and their communication and, and how they're going to receive a stricter judgment. Then in verses 3 through 12, he's going to speak to the wider body. Um, of believers. He says, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. Any amens? Yeah, I'll amen that. We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he's a perfect man. Well, there's none of them around, so um, it's applicable to all of us. Able also to bridle the whole body. So he's warning um, teachers that they need to be careful. And I, and I tell you, verse 2, I love the fact that he says we and not you. The apostle is saying, I'm including myself in this too. I'm including myself, and, and, and your pastor is going to include himself in this as well. We all need to look at how we communicate. But for the teacher, um, as he speaks the you know, of the, the word of God and speaks the gospel and speaks of life and, and how to get to heaven and how your sins have been atoned for and how you enter into that forgiveness of the Lord and how you walk in holiness and righteousness, how you walk through the difficult things of the painful things of life, the joyful things of life. And he talking about so many things. It's imperative that the teacher says things correctly because there's a stricter judgment first before God, but certainly that's felt out here too. I'm, I'm reminded of this. Um, yeah, I mean, people say, I don't know if I really agreed with you. Eh, I really, I mean, I don't, there's not a nastiness, but some people say, I think I have a different take on that. I, I'm all right. I'm all right with you having a different take on it and talking it through. Um, but, you know, we, we do stumble. And I, I like, I have proof of my stumbling. It's um, been recorded on video audio, and it's in print form. So I, I can prove to you, if you doubt me, I can, I can show you where I've had to correct things over the years. And, and um, yeah, there's times when I, you know, I regret what I've said up front and, and had to call and apologize and write a letter. And I haven't had to do that in a long time, but when I was younger, I certainly did. Um, you know, wanting to be funny at the expense of somebody else. Um, you know, 
Yeah, I, everybody laughed except for the people that were hurt by it. You know, so you know, there's things where we have to be so careful. I have to be so careful. He says, I, so, so many of you may not want to get into this because there's going to be a stricter judgment. You're going to stand before the Lord and you're going to give an account. And, uh, you know, clearly the, the, the fundamentals of the faith is, I think, what's in, it's the, it's the bullseye of the target. There's other rings, but the bullseye is the fundamentals, and those have to be said correctly. But, you know, some of those other things, like the tone of how we say it, the way maybe my face looks when I say it, um, how I enter in and, and, and talk about, you know, debatable matter, matters, um, and how people, and I even did this, I think it was last week, we talked about eschatology, maybe it was a week before, I don't know. But where well, we talked about this, and there's different opinions, but how I approach that's important too. You know, and, and am I just going to blast people? And obviously I believe it's what I'm, what I'm saying is right, okay? I'm not standing up here and just like, nah, I don't know what to say today. I'm just going to say this today because I haven't said that before. I don't, I'm like, I'm fully convinced about you know, things when I say And if I'm not, I let you know. But, but all of that is going to be judged by the Lord. And so and there's got to be um, a sobriety. And that's what he's calling um, those two is to have sobriety. Um, here on the front of my Bible, I got my name so I don't forget it. And then I also have a verse reference, 2 Timothy 2.15, so I don't forget that. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of the truth. Every time I stand up here and I grab this, this is a Bible I teach from. I got a reading Bible, but this is one that I just leave here and I teach from it. Um, I see that every time and I'm reminded I've got to rightly divide the word of truth. Now in Hebrews, which we were in not so long ago, he said that as an overseer that I'm going to give an account for your soul. And, and that kind of connects in with this whole di- idea of this stricter judgment. And there's a lot of things I get to do as a pastor <coughs> that I absolutely love. There are some hard things. But even the hard things, I love the fact that I'm entrusted to be involved in aspects of your life. Um, weddings, Funeral will be a hard thing. Baby dedications, baptisms, going on mission trips, um, supporting other churches and helping them get established, raising up leaders, bringing people in to serve you guys and to be on staff. I, I love all of those things. But those are not the two most important things I do. They may be meaningful and they hopefully will um, be an opportunity for you to, to feel that. But the two most important things I can do as your pastor or any pastor can do is to make certain that I am a man who's praying and that I am discipling you in the word of God by rightly dividing it. And so that's where, you know, a vast majority of my time, um, it goes to, to those things. I do those other things and I love those things, but that's, that has to be done. Um, you know, there's, there's not an exhortation that's like this in other areas, but it is for teaching the word of God. And so I know there's a lot of, you know, young people out there um, that maybe are wanting to be a teacher, you're wanting to do that, maybe some older people too, but I just, I want to tell you that you've got to work hard to rightly divide the word of truth. And if you don't like reading, you've you got to figure that one out. If you don't like preparing thoughts and getting them together, you're going to have to work that out, especially when you're young, especially when you're young, because, you know, you don't know it all, and you haven't done it enough, and there's not that developed skill, and so it's going to take time. But, you know, this is, I think, a, a challenge. It's like, well, I'm just going to get up there, and I'm going to wing it, or I'm going to download a sermon. Please don't download a sermon. 
You go rightly divide the word of truth. You work it out. And you can get maybe a good sermon from them, but think of the, what you miss out on the cumulative effect of every week, multiple times a week, studying and developing, and what that produces in you, 5 and 10 and 15 and 20, and I'm, I don't know, I think I'm 34, 5 years down the road of being in full-time ministry and teaching. And I love the, uh, you know, that cumulative effect that's happened in my life. And you know, maybe it could work, and I'm sure it will for others quicker, but you know, that is a benefit. And so there's got to be a commitment to the process that if you're going to be a teacher, you're going to have a stricter judgment, therefore rightly divide. Be diligent to present yourself approved to Facebook likes and you know, YouTube. You know, subscri- no, approved to God. i got to be approved to God. And I need to serve you well. So this is something he says, pump the brakes. If you want to be a teacher, you're going to stand before the Lord. In verses 3 through 6, uh, we begin to transition into that section where he's going to speak to the, the broader body of Christ and in, on the importance of having speech that is fitting to, for believers. So I'm still in the conversation here, um, but now all of us are. Um, so in verses, so you can talk about the power of speech in verses 3 through 6, but first of all, in verses 3 and 4, um, he's going to talk about how the tongue controls things. Um, and he's going to give illustrations. Like in verse 3, he's going to talk about um, how the bit controls a horse. So indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. And so, you know, you get a small little bit, and you put it in their mouth, and you can have control over them. And there is a, you know, the horses I owned growing up, there was a very big difference between the horse having a bit in its mouth and Troy Young Troy, having just watched the you know, cowboy and Indian movie and saw that they didn't have bits in those horses and I wanted to be an Indian and so there's some Indian heritage in my family so I'm going to ride bareback and I'm not going to use a bit. It didn't work out well, ever. But I, I mean, I kept doing it. You know, run into mailboxes and flipped off the horse and, you know, go flying over my horse. I mean, I'll, I was, it was more like a motorcycle um, for me. Um, but it wasn't a motorcycle. But there's a, when I had the, the bit in the horse's mouth, I mean, it's a big difference. When I didn't have it, there. And then he gives the illustration of a ship. You know, you have a, a rudder. Look at also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder. Wherever the pilot desires, even then into verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. So it, it's a little member of our body, but it has a profound controlling influence. It sets directions, it sets orders, it controls forces. Both the bit and the rudder must overcome contrary forces to get to the desired location, to have the desired experience. And so we must overcome the contrary force of our old nature and that anger that pops up and that offense that comes in. Our tongue's gotta, it's gotta be controlled. But see, the tongue is saying, it, this is the way it can totally guide and direct your life in one way or another. And if we don't understand the impact and the course that you, our speech can set us on, we are gonna end up in some very sad, disappointing uh, messes that we've created. And so the idea, and so I didn't understand the impact, he's trying to tell you the impact. You know, the, the tongue controls. It's going to move you and guide you and direct you. But at the end, halfway through verse 5 and 6, he says not only does the tongue control, but the tongue is dangerous. See how great 
a forest, a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire and a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. Yeah. So this is a sobering section of Scripture. But a simple spark can destroy hundreds of thousands of acres, right? You know, it gets on the news time to time, and we think somebody flicked out a cigarette, and it started a forest fire, and it it burned 100,000 acres. When you hear that, you think, well, you know, they didn't mean to. That's probably not what any of us are thinking. We're thinking, come on, what do you... Be aware. Don't you understand that this can happen? Or the, you know, we're in a hurry to leave our campsite and we, we didn't want to put out the, the fire. And it's like, you can't do that. I mean, nobody gives that a pass. Uh, we, we look at that and, and we say this is a mistake. But the point is this. When we just fling out a little word here and say a little word there, you know, type it, whatever it might be, speak it. And then it creates a whole forest fire. And you're like, well, I, I didn't realize my words are going to have that impact. Sorry, you've already been told. You've already been told and I've been told. And so we need to measure. I mean, the idea is measure your words, teacher. And now it's all of us. Measure your words. It will set your life in a, a, a direction. And it can destroy things. You know, when the tongue is restrained and controlled, much of the strife and division we experience is going to die out like a starved fire that doesn't have enough fuel. Proverbs 26, 20, and 21 says, Where there is no wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no tailbearer, strife ceases. As charcoal is to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. If everywhere you go there's a fire, you're the wood. You're the charcoal. And you can blame it on everybody if you want to, but that's not going to serve you well. You're the one with broken relationships. You're the one that nobody wants to talk to anymore. You're the one that can't work there and you can't go there and you can't do this. You know what? This is the word of the Lord. It's, you know, if everywhere you go is strife, I I mean, I'm, I'm saying everywhere, right? Because there can be strife around you that's not your fault. But if everywhere you go, there's strife. That's you. You're the wood. You're the lump of coal. So let's kind of figure this out. And so we, we need to be. But sadly, there are times of strife and division in church. And I would say the majority of the time, even if it's not the initial problem, an unrestrained tongue makes its impact even worse in that environment. I am thankful for pastoring this church. I don't think we're the first church of the right on, okay? Um, we're all a work in progress. From, from, from myself and my family down through um, all the rest of us. Okay, we're, we're not, we've not arrived. Nobody's saying that. You know, we grow, we make mistakes, we grow. But I can tell you that this has not been a striving, gossiping, backbiting church. I'm so thankful for it. I mean, have we had to correct it? Yeah. Do we have to deal with it? Sure we do. Um, but that's, that's not the environment. I, I mean, that's you guys not doing that. And, and that's the leadership, hopefully, setting an example of that as well. So let's just keep doing this. Let's, 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 let's manage this. But understand that it has the opportunity, when we don't, to cause all kinds of strife. And, um, and then he gives us this, that little last note there at the end. It says that this finds unrestrained, unrestrained uh, speech 
finds its origin in hell. Those are not my words. That's the Holy Spirit inspiring James to say, when we don't restrain our speech, we are instruments of hell. And, you know, what does Satan want to do? Jesus told us what Satan's job was to do, is to come what? Rob, kill, and destroy. What does fire do? It robs, and it kills, and it destroys. What do words that are not measured and are not thoughtful and are just flicked out the window like a cigarette bud on dry tinder, what does it do? It robs and it kills and it destroys. And, and you can't say, well, I didn't know. Because you're being told, I'm being told now to measure my words and to be thoughtful and to be careful with them. And so, I mean, it really just, it, it just kind of brings it in. It's like, you know, well, I just wanted to vent. Yeah, but you might have started a forest fire. I don't think you got a verse for venting, by the way. All right, look it up. I don't think you're going to find. You know, you have permission to vent and get angry and nasty and say all the hurtful things that are going to let it bubble out. You're not going to find a verse for that. But what happens when you do it? Well, I was wronged. Doesn't matter. Doesn't, doesn't excuse us to go do something wrong. So let's move on. Verses 7 and 8 we see that it's unruly. The tongue is unruly and it's deadly. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. So I think there's some hyperbole going on here. It's not saying you can't help what you say, so don't try. Because in verse 10, he's going to say these things ought not to be so. So I think he's trying to just, he's trying to like say, pay attention. I mean, this thing is so hard to control. You can control an elephant, but you can't control your tongue. You can control a lion, but you can't control the tongue. This is something that there needs to be a sobriety that we have with what is in our mouth and what comes in our mind and what goes through our fingers. All that is that speech. We need to be aware of the impact of it. And I think that if we can get to this first part that he's trying to get us to is just realize how severe the damage is that we'll measure our words so that we're not being, you know, that channel for, um, you know, the fire of hell to come through and burn up somebody's life. We've all done it. We've all said things that have offended people. We've all done, th you know... <laughs> You know, I'm sure you're thinking of things of how you've hurt people and what you've said or maybe what you didn't say or what was it. And you're like, oh, silly, stupid, you know, and I'm just thinking through that. I mean, and listen, I, I know. I mean, I, as I'm preparing this, I mean, I got so angry on the phone the other day, I had to say, I am hanging up now because I knew that if I talked to any signal, I'm not saying that it was their fault, but I knew that if I said anything more, it was not going to be good. Does anybody relate to that? And I was like, mm, you know, I just, I got to end this right now because this sucker is sharp. I mean, it, I have no shortage of things to say and I had to shut it down. And, and you know, should have I controlled my, my, my emotions beforehand? Yeah, I, yeah, I should have, but I, I didn't. So I did the next best thing. <laughs> Pulled the plug. It was a hard, you know, restart. So listen, I had to apologize for it. So yeah, I get it. We all have to deal with this. But, but we have to understand the capacity to do damage with the things that comes from it. Is that clear? 
I mean, I, I think, I don't know how you can make it any clearer. So you just set a, something on fire. Oh, no, by the way, the fire comes from hell. All right. I hear you, Lord. So, yeah, the hardest member to control. Uh, you know, elephant, kids play. Your mouth, oh boy. Where are we going to get help? My mouth, where are we going to get help? And so he speaks of this, like, who can do this? He says that it's, it's, it's full of deadly poison. And, and so we can say things that defile a person's mind. We can say things that damage, <clears throat> damages a person that we're talking about. It becomes an opportunity for the world to reproach God as they see the church behaving, you know, in these divisive ways. It creates division. And Jesus died on the cross to unite. Imagine that. We're saying things that are ripping people and dividing people apart, and yet Jesus died on the cross to bring us together as one new man. I don't ever want to be a part of trying to undo what Jesus did on the cross. And it's right here that I've got to think of. It's not the only way, but boy, my mouth and our speech, we got to be careful. So what are the types of unrestrained speech that kills, it's full of deadly poison, that's that fire. And <clears throat> got, a, got a list of them. There's one we're going to talk about in particular, but uh, first, lying. What does lying do? It kills the trust we have with others. That's what it kills. Um, slander. Slander is a false statement spoken with evil intent to harm a person's reputation. So what does slander kill? It kills a good reputation. Filthy talk. It kills the purity in the mind inside the hearer's heart. Critical speech. I don't mean critiquing and necessary um, talk of ideas, opposing ideas. But the critical speech. It's mean-spirited. It's complaining. It's murmuring. That kills the praise that God is due. Because when you murmur, you're saying God's not good enough. What he's provided for me is not good enough. And you, if you question me on it, read through the children of Israel and their murmuring and their complaining and how God viewed that. Um, bragging and exaggerating. Well, what does that kill? It kills the attention that should be going to God and not me. False teaching, well, we already talked about. It kills the life that comes from sound teaching, the words of life. The last one I want to talk to you about is gossip. And gossip... It kills, I think it kills the love in the church. I mean, when, you, when you, gossip begins to happen, everybody kind of just, we just, we close up. Now I have things in my life I need to talk about and bring to your attention. You got to bring to my attention. But this is a gossipy group of people. And now am I going to open up to that? Am I going to just say, here I am. I, you know, I know you like to gossip, but I want to tell you about some things. Nobody, no. So that's going to be shut down. And now that that's shut down, the love that needs that I need or you need or she needs or he need, and we all need it, is not going to be able to be attended to because we don't trust. I, there was a time when I went out and there was something I needed to bring up to somebody and I talked about it. I'm like, who can I talk to about this? And I really kind of worked it through in my mind. I'm like, I'm going to talk to this person. And I went into, um, you know, met with them and, and we began to talk. And then he just had like this laundry list of, of things against me. And... Um, and it really was just, it wasn't even true. Listen, I'm not perfect, but this was not true. I was like, 
Well, I don't know what you're smoking, but this is not, this, I've not done any of this stuff. You've made it all this up in your own head because I, I haven't said any of those things. I've never thought these things until it came to your mind. But do you think I then shared that area where I needed prayer for with him? I'm not a fool. I wasn't putting that out there. And so, so where I was in a position where I needed to be able to speak and, and, and have somebody love me and minister to me. When I saw that, I'm like, heck no, I'm not going to do that. I'll, you know, I'll, geez, I'll go talk to Jesus. I should have talked to him anyways, you know. But, you know, that's what happens when we gossip. Love is killed. Is that the fire we want to start? Now, listen, let's talk about the word gossip because so much, I think, is misunderstood. So let me just read to you two definitions. They're going to sound very similar, but I want to do, read them to you from two different ones so you can just hear the consistency of thought around it. So gossip, providing harmful information about a person, often spoken in whispers or in a low voice, with the implication that such information is not widely known and therefore should pre- presumably be kept secret. That's called wrong in the Bible. That shouldn't happen. And in case you missed it, shorter definition, derogatory information about someone that is offered up in a tone of confidentiality. Oh, we love to use that word when we gossip, don't we? Secret. That's the idea. It's whispers in secret. And the Bible says that shouldn't happen. Sharing news about people will lower and damage the person we're talking about in the minds of the hearers. And that is something that shouldn't happen. It shouldn't take place. Now, listen, slander is a lie that seeks to ruin the reputation. Gossip can be 100% true. You think, well, it's true. (laughs) Okay. It's still gossip. Slander is you're making up a lie, which is even worse. So uh, this is because it's true does not justify gossip to be taking place. Whispers in the back room where, you know, you don't want to be heard. And I guess it's a pretty good excuse when the world says, well, hey, they, they had it coming. They said they did this thing, whatever. If they didn't want to be talked about. They shouldn't have done it. But you're a child of God. I'm a child of God. So the standard is higher. Well, what's the standard? Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. That's the Bible, you guys. That's what the Word of God says. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates friends. So we are to cover, not ignore. Cover, protect, in having this desire. I'm going to give you an example. In the Old Testament, after Noah got off the boat, he decided he wanted to be you know, a vintner, and he made some, some wine, he got drunk, and you know, one of the sons comes to his tent, he's lying there naked, and he thinks this is hilarious, and he goes and he tells his brother, and he exposes the, the sin and the shame of their father. And they come, and then they take a blanket, and one's holding the blanket here, one's holding the blanket here, Noah's in the tent there, and how do they enter the tent? Backwards. They enter the tent backwards to cover their father. Yeah, I mean, he's drunk. He's laying out like that. I mean, I mean, he's done something wrong, but they covered that. And don't you want to be covered? I mean, does anybody think you're capable of stupidity? I mean, I do. All right, I raise my hand for you. 
I, I think I'm capable of stupidity if, I, if I'm not walking with the Lord. And I want to have it covered, not ignored. I want to be rebuked. I want to be talked to. I don't want to be just leave him alone and go find his own destruction. No, I want that. But I don't want it to be exposed and talked about every and who does yeah well that's what i live for is to sin and make a mistake and then be humiliated in front of the whole world nobody wants that but let's ask ourselves this question if your standard of covering sin is the way that you're going to be covered are you okay with it because you're going to sin somebody's going to find out you reap what you sow and so what is it what is it that you do. Do you you cover it or do you expose it? And then are you okay if you're exposed in the same manner you do others? And if not, then it's time to make some changes. There are times to bring sinful things to light. So covering doesn't mean ignoring and walking away. But how do we do it? Four verses for you. Matthew 18, 15, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his his fault between you and all social media. No, no, it doesn't say that. It says, between you and him alone. Is that like difficult language here? I mean, can we not? I mean, that seems really straightforward to me. If he hears you, you've gained your brother, and you can read the rest. He goes on to tell you what to do if he doesn't. Matthew, uh, Luke 17, 3. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. So we're not ignoring and covering it. We're going to the person. Leviticus 19.17 from the New Living Translation. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. I'm just going to let that sit for just a second. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to let it sit. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Do you see how that's going here? It's, 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 it's quiet. It's personal. Proverbs 25, 9. Debate your case with your neighbor and do not disclose the secret to another. Don't gossip. There are times where you got to go to somebody because you don't know how to handle a situation because it's dangerous, because there's, a, you know, an authorized person who oversees this is able to help. You can go and you can get counsel to know how to minister or how to step or how how to do this and i think that those are conversations but it's not gossip if the goal is to get counsel to confront and to correct and to edify that that is okay but you you're going to have to measure it out are you just wanting to talk and calling it you know advice if you already know i mean there's a lot you already know now there are some complicated situations i mean you know, and I understand the need to get counsel at times, but I think most of these things we know what to do, and we choose not to. So we got to be so very careful in this matter of gossip. But in all these things, I'm only talking about one. These conversations should bring to light a person's need, <laughs> not remain whispers in the back room. In other words, if the conversation only stays as a whisper, then what was the purpose of it? So, some challenging stuff. Let's look at verses 9 through 12, wrap it up. And and boy, I think it's just, there's a point that's going to come out here that I think is just, just 
so strong. Verses 9 through 12, we're going to talk about the inconsistency of corrupt communication. And again, he's going to kind of appeal to, to nature. But he talks about how, you know, um, in verses 9 and 10, we bless God and we curse man. And it says, with it, we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God, the image of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. All right, so he doesn't say there's no hope, you're, you can't control it. No, he says this needs to stop. It's interesting here. We all understand blessings, saying something nice and you know, encouraging. But, but curse, um, in the ancient world, um, they would not just use this as like a swear word, okay? They would use it to speak like harm, and it was usually with some kind of <laughs> uh, eternal punishment in mind. That's the idea behind the, the original word of curse. Like, you're saying something, and, say, and I hope you burn in hell, okay? So that, that's what the curse is. You have no concern for the eternal soul. You're like, well, I've never done that. Okay, but have you said things without a concern for their eternal soul? So maybe you didn't cross over the line of the curse, but you're stepping on it. There's, the conversation's happening, and there's zero concern for that person's well-being. For that person who's done harm or wrong or done something sinful or shameful, and there's no concern for their well-being, which means you're, you don't care about their soul. So, yeah, you're not saying, you know, I want them to burn in hell, but you're not wanting them to live in righteousness either. And if I was to tell you that you're being gossiped about and you're being talked about, and bad things are being said. I said, but don't worry, they don't want you to burn in hell. Are you going to feel, oh, okay, well then never mind. <laughs> it's okay. I thought, I mean, they want me to burn in hell. Then it's, no. I mean, so I don't, although that's what the original word means, let's not try and, you know, skate around this. If I come to the place where I am not concerned for the person in conversations, spiritual well-being, then I think I'm, a, I'm tampering with this, if not actually doing it. More like a sin of omission. We want the good spiritual outcome for all people. For all people. Not just the offended ones. Not just the ones that have done something wrong. But it's not that bad. I've done that. It's not that bad. Because we've done it. It's not that bad, right? But what about the dirty, disgusting things that people are going to repent of? Do we want sinners to get saved? Do we want, you know, saints who fall? And dirty, disgusting sin to be restored? I do. I want that. I want to see that. I don't want people to fall, but I want people that have to, to be restored. It's so important. Look at this in verse 9. So we bless and we curse these people. Bless God, we curse man. So, but these people are made in the similitude of God. That's a powerful line of truth. It's because people are made in the image of God that we are commanded not to murder. It's because people are made in the image of God that we believe that an unborn baby should not be aborted. It's because male and female, the genders were created in the image of God that we believe that a person should remain and identify in the gender that they were created because they were made in the image of God. It's because a woman has been made in the image of God that we condemn all ill treatment of women. 
It's because all of mankind is made in the image of God and adorned and we're wrapped with different colors of skin and the beauty of the Lord's tapestry that we condemn all racism. Do you see that? I mean, being made in the image of God is not a throwaway line. There is so much that's wrapped into it. And here, if we understand that that person is made in the image of God, I don't want to speak against them in a wrong way. Let me read, I'll put this quote up because I mean, this, I had to sit and ponder this one for a little bit. It says, We look around at our brothers and sisters, whether in the in human family or in the family of God, and think nothing of defaming, denigrating, criticizing, making the sly innuendos, yet they bear the image of God. We think of Jesus and count it a shame if his glory is despised or his name is used dishonorably. We write to the papers to complain of blasphemy on radio or television. But the same glorious image of God in other people we hardly think of and rarely hesitate to speak ill of. We need to grow in this. We need to be mindful of this. So blessing and cursing coming out of a you know, a person's mouth. Doesn't make sense. Then he goes back to an illustration of springs and trees. And we close here. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? No. Does a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? No. Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom speaks well. Go through the Proverbs and how much it talks about the wise person controlling their tongue. There should be a meekness. But, you know, he, he kind of basically says, the trees and the springs do a better job than us. And, and I don't think that's going to say, oh, well, well, what can we know? I think that's supposed to say, oh, wait a minute here. I don't want to be outdone by a tree. I don't want to be, out, I don't want to be outdone by a spring I want to do the right thing here. So it's an inconsistency within us that's not even found in nature. Occasions when we, evil speech is a temptation. When we're in disagreements over choice or opinion. When we've been wronged. Well, that's a temptation, isn't it? When a person does not live up to ours or God's expectations, they sin. When you have privileged information about a person's life. When we don't follow God's advice in seeking to reconcile or rebuke someone in their sin, this is when we are tempted. So we close on a positive note. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let our tongues be used to pray, to praise, to preach, and promote one another. Let's do it. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we all stumble. We all have incidents that we're probably recalling in our mind right now. And, and so, Lord, may you give us wisdom to know how to walk forward in meekness with one another. Not harshness, not judgmental, but meek. Taking a low spot, not getting on our high horse and dishing out deadly water. So Lord, we pray. We pray that you would help us to grow as a congregation. Thank you for the peace that we have walked in. 
for that grace to walk in it. But Lord, this is more than just not doing the wrong thing. It's, it's about doing the right thing. We want to pray and we want to praise and we want to preach and we want to promote and edify all people in all places. We pray for the grace to get it done. Amen.